According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, we're looking at verses 1 through 9. I believe we're going to finish. uh, We'll see if we can get through verse 9 this morning. Before we get started though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask for our Father's blessing upon our time. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this day. We thank You for the blessing we have to study. I pray for uh, my headache, Father. You know what? I guess you said it. I don't know why I have it. Woke up with it Tuesday morning, had it all day yesterday, went to bed with it last night. Woke up with it again this morning. So uh, thank you, Father, for it. It hasn't yet crossed into migraine uh, levels and has not yet taken away or given me the amnesia. So um, anyway, I'm here, Father. Uh, teach whatever you want to have taught. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Proverbs 18. And uh, we're talking about social dysfunction in verses 1 through 9. And uh, in the subpoints A through G, we got all of these elements whereby individuals that have personal dysfunction come together and they form a community whereby we have social dysfunction. And uh, if you have enough people together that are personally dysfunctional, then you're going to have a social dysfunction. It's going to impact your city, it's going to impact your state, it's going to impact your nation. And right now, I think the whole world is in a global social dysfunction in uh, all of their uh, climate change hysteria and other insanity, transgender this and that. Uh, there's just a global, uh, I think a spirit of this age is, uh, has swept the globe and only a remnant still holds to truth. And so uh, what this chapter deals with, not on a global level, but in a personal level, you have separation, uh, which is all selfish. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. And so when you decide that uh, you're tired of being in a faith community, a community of wisdom, you're tired of being in a body that uh, cares for one another and loves one another, if all you want to do is just worship yourself, then you can separate yourself and be your own God and do those things. And that's horrible. Uh, The consequences here being he quarrels against all sound wisdom. And you become a separatist and then you become argumentative and uh, you start to quarrel with people because how do you tell a know-it-all that uh, that he's got a problem? <laughs> because he knows it all, and uh, you have issues there. Then in verse 2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Interestingly enough, how uh, folks with closed minds often have open mouths, <laughs> and, and they can't wait to just blab everything and tell everybody else what, to, what they think. And, uh, and there you have it. And they're just exposing their nakedness. Uh, they, they do not delight in understanding. They do not delight in the wisdom of God's Word. But they delight in exposing his own mind. It's almost like a, a flasher with a trench coat. Uh, he's flashing his mind, his wisdom, his, the nakedness of his, uh, of his heart. And it is a naked heart. The fool here has the naked heart, the empty heart. Uh, as we've described the idiom before. Public wickedness generates a degenerative sequence of public harm. And this is the sequence we looked at in verse 3, that it really progresses in a, in a sliding scale downward from contempt to dishonor to scorn. When a wicked man comes, contempt also comes. And he's fine with that. He loves that. He loves the contempt. And he throws it back at anyone that would disapprove of his lifestyle. And then dishonor and scorn. With dishonor comes scorn. And went through the vocabulary on these from booze to cologne to herpa was the last element there. Nothing could be worse. Then a week ago, last week we were in verse 4. And the A part and the B part, this is probably the toughest of all nine verses. It's the uh, not just in vocabulary but also in uh, the context um, there's an effort on the part of some translators. They want to view uh, part of this, uh, the, the deep waters, as, as being beneficial rather than problematic. 
No, they are problematic. The contrast is with the, uh, the fountain of wisdom that is the bubbling brook. Uh, that's what we want. We want the free-flowing water. We want the clean water. If it's bubbling, it's clean. If it's free-flowing, it's clean. If it's springing forth, that's a good thing. We want it to spring forth. Uh, when the Word of God is shaping your thinking, how can it not spring forth when we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, when we celebrate together with the Word of God? We should be, uh, the, the fountain of wisdom is free-flowing and clean. I think the emphasis on the deep waters, it means that they're hard to reach, they're hard to draw from. They become stagnant when they are inaccessible. And the deep water, uh, when Scripture uses that imagery, is actually uh, uses it in a problematic sense, where um, and, and we can, uh, you know, discuss these deep-seated problems that people have. These deep-seated, maybe even in Proverbs twenty-five or twenty, verse five, we have that expression, where uh, a plan in the heart of man is like deep water where you just keep it boiled, where you keep it bottled up and you keep it deep down. But a man of understanding draws it out. And the, uh, the, the deepness is, is problematic. That drawing it out is a good thing because that's what a man of understanding will do. And uh, to, to get those stagnant waters flowing again, to get the, to get the uh, cistern uh, accessible where it's a useful functional well. A useful functional well is a great thing, and you want to keep the trash out of it. You want to keep the the uh, you know uh, the other blockages clear so that you, it's, it's functional, so that it's free flowing, and you can draw from it. So, being stagnant, they exhibit the poor condition of a wicked heart, and out of the heart comes wickedness. Out of the heart comes fornications. Out of the heart comes idolatries, and the, the stagnant heart is going to produce some terrible, terrible things. Where, and we know that from Matthew 12, Matthew 15, and Ephesians 4. Whereas the fountain of wisdom is free-flowing and clean. John 4, John 7, these promises. Jesus uses the very same metaphor when he talks about getting saved and from the innermost being will flow forth livers, uh, rivers of living water. And what a thrill it is for us to not just to be saved, to not just have the Word of God hidden in our heart, but that, it, that we freely express it, we freely distribute it, that we are delighted to talk the Word of God with anybody that will listen. That's our joy. And so uh, we dealt with those. All right. Colossians 3.16, Colossians 4.6. Here's a couple of Scripture memory verses and here's some previews of where we're going to be as we advance in our Colossians series. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That means it's alive. That means it's not stagnant. That means it's not just sitting there. Stagnant water gets, gets uh, corrupted. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so we're taking in the word of God and we're freely communicating it, expressing it, sharing it, celebrating it with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And then in 4.6 it says, uh, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And this is the joy that allows us to just express the Word of God, how it's edified us, how it's shaped us, blessed us, and it keeps it from becoming stagnant. I think too many Christians get stagnant when you're, when you're not expressing it, when you're not flowing, when the water doesn't flow and it just sits there. And then uh, it starts breeding mosquitoes and bacteria and yuck, right? And then the next thing you know, it's just a nasty cesspool of filth. No, you got to clean that. You got to get that out. You got to get that fresh. And uh, doctrinally speaking, that means we don't bottle up what we know and become arrogant know-it-alls that never talk about what we know and never edify others. All right, well, that's Proverbs 18.4. Moving on. Widespread public wickedness leads to normalized judicial wickedness. Proverbs 18.5 To show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust aside 
the righteous in judgment. This is not good. And we've seen this before. We've seen this before in previous Proverbs. We've seen perversions of justice. But the perversions become more and more common because they get more and more normalized. Why would we not have perverted court rulings? We've got perverted population. We've got, we've got a culture that calls good evil and evil good. We have social standards that are upside down and backwards. And so if that's the community standard, what else could you expect? And uh, sadly, not only is it the community standard today, but it's embraced as the community standard today. It's embraced uh, that we have a relative morality and that right and wrong is defined by culture. Right and wrong is defined by what's acceptable to the majority of the people. So if the majority of the people are okay with it, it's okay, it's great, it's brave and beautiful. But it, and that on that basis there are no moral absolutes. See, the problem is <laughs> that the Bible says there are absolutes. There is the absolute standard of God's righteousness that has been placed in His Word for our edification, for our blessing. Uh, if, you, if you take the logic, the thinking process of moral relativism as they define it, if you take it to its extreme, then we can't condemn the Holocaust. How can we condemn the Holocaust? Because the Germans collectively decided they were going to exterminate the Jews. And what's wrong with that? If the Germans decided collectively that they were good with that, that they needed to do that, that it was right and moral to do that, that exterminating the Jews was going to purify the, the, the German population, well then, hey, that's their community standard. That's their localized, relatively approved, uh, and you can't judge them if, if the community said it was fine. You understand what I'm illustrating here about? We, if, if, if it's just community standards on a relative basis can make whatever right, well then, you know, what's, what's wrong with the Holocaust? Or what's wrong with uh, Boko Haram kidnapping 100 Christian girls and raping them and using them as, as concubines? I mean, that's just, that's what their community does. Isn't it brave and beautiful? You know, if, if multiculturalism, the cult of multiculturalism says that all cultures are equally valid, equally beautiful, you, you, you understand the insanity of where that goes? There are cultures that are not beautiful. They're abhorrent. They're despicable. And, uh, you know, to, to marry a girl at the age of nine because Muhammad did, that's despicable. All right? It's not brave. It's not beautiful. It's not praiseworthy. There are cultures that are and there are cultures that are not. And we've got to be clear on that. In any event, widespread public wickedness leads to normalized judicial wickedness. And um, verse 5 we can handle pretty quickly because I think we dealt with it at length previously. But remember back in chapter 17 verse 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Because it's a miscarriage of justice twice. It's not a single miscarriage of justice when the guilty get off scot-free and when the, the innocent are convicted. If, if, if you frame an innocent man to take the rap, you've done two miscarriages of justice. Because the innocent guy that's in prison for the crime he didn't do is, is suffering unjustly. And the guy who really did it is uh, that, that escaped the, the penalty, that's a miscarriage of justice. So it's double miscarriage, it's double unjust. And the God of justice uh, sees it all. And so it's not good to thrust aside the righteous in, judge, in judge, uh, judgment. Um, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. And, and you, can, you can show favoritism in both directions and it's equally wrong both ways. If the, if, if the guy, you know, because he's wealthy, he gets off because he, he has friend, powerful friends and influence and he can just, you know, grease some palms and, and get away with whatever, that's wrong. And then at, on the other end of the spectrum, if somebody is poor and he doesn't get the justice that's due to him because he can't afford a, an attorney or he can't afford, that's wrong too. They're both wrong on both ends. And God sees it all. Verse 23 
of chapter 17. A wicked man receives a bribe from the bosom to pervert the ways of justice. And it's all a perversion. But notice it comes from the bosom. It comes from the, 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 the heart, the core of who a person is. It's a place of intimacy. And, and the bribe comes from that place. And it's accepted on that basis to pervert the ways of justice. So, uh, you know, a bribe from the bosom uh, <laughs> depends on how close you're snuggling to that bosom, right? Sleeping with a judge to get what you want. Anyway, I don't have to spell it out. You know what we're talking about. That you can, uh, there's, there's financial bribes and there's sexual bribes and then there's other things that can influence uh, and pervert the ways of justice. Verse 26, It is also not good to fine the righteous, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. To, uh, uh, to engage in lawfare, right? To use the law, to use the legal system in order to wage warfare on your opponent. Um, to punish them. I think a lot of times this gets viewed, a lot of times uh, lawsuits happen and people jump onto these class action suits because they figure, well, there's deep pockets there and they can afford it and it's, uh, it's just free money uh, and, uh, and it's horrible and drives up the cost of everything for everybody. Anyway, finding the righteous. For what? Well, what did he do wrong? He's righteous. Or strike the noble. Uh, we'll come back to the theme again in chapter 24 and we'll come back to it again in chapter 28. In Proverbs 24, 23, it says, These also are the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judgment is not good. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous. Peoples will curse him. Nations will abhor him. When you know they're guilty, when they're proven guilty, but then you say, eh, not guilty, you're free to go. Beyond the fact that in the secular world that that's just wrong, beyond the fact in temporal life it's, it's wrong, you know what else it is? I think it's, it's actually a conceptual attack on redemption itself. It's the, the perversion of justice is mocking what God Himself has done when He justifies the ungodly. Because God is free to justify the ungodly, not because He's an unrighteous judge, but because He's the infinitely righteous judge who condemned the innocent in our place. And that's, that's, that's the pinnacle of, of substitutionary atonement, of the righteousness of God, of satisfying the righteousness of God, the reason why the kinsman redeemer took our place. And so that punishment was meted out on the innocent Savior that we might have eternal life. I mean, we're talking about the very core of who we are as born-again believers in Christ. This is, the, this is the, the crux of the entire plan of redemption. The just for the unjust. That He is righteous to be the justifier. And so for that, to, for that the beauty of that to then be corrupted by some unrighteous judge who is perverting justice, who's punishing the innocent for nefarious reasons, for satanic reasons, for selfishness, for carnality. He's punishing the innocent so that he can let the, the guilty escape. That's, uh, that's, that's, an, that's an abuse that just insults the, the, the grace of God that saves us all. In my mind, in my mind, perversions of justice, not only do they offend the justice of God, but I think they insult the, the entire scope of His plan that, that uh, called for the kinsman redeemer to impute our righteousness. Alright, uh, beyond that, Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-one. Now this is in the later portion, the addendum to Proverbs that was added during the days of Hezekiah some 200 years after Solomon, and uh, additional Solomonic... Still Solomon was the author, but they weren't canonized. They weren't added to 
the book of Proverbs until the days of Hezekiah. And in 28.21, to show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread a man will transgress. The idea of perverting justice happens when uh, people become uh, commodities and when uh, justice itself becomes negotiable. When a piece of bread is the uh, as an as a idiomatic expression, is the, uh, is, is the price you're willing to pay because you're just cheapening everything else. Anyway, that expression was used, you might remember, back in chapter 5, adultery was described as that. The harlotry was described as that. The piece of bread was the, the price uh, of uh, illicit sex in, uh, in that chapter. Anyway, for a piece of bread a man will transgress. And so we have it. Widespread public wickedness. What else do we have? Gossip. Gossip. Stock in trade for a considerable social wickedness. Now we skip down to verse 8. Why do we skip down to verse 8? Because we've already covered verses 6 and 7 up in verse 2. We were talking about babbling your own mind and the mouth that never stops. So the the fool's lips bring strife, his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his ruin, his lips are the snare of his soul. And so I already covered those verses when we discussed verse 2. Verse 8 now. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body. Dainty morsels. Mmm. Give me another one. (laughs) Mmm. Give me another one. All right. Dainty morsels. Candies. Junk food. The, uh, you think this was a modern American invention? Please. <laughs> Every culture has always found things that taste great and aren't good for you. And uh, if you have too much of a good thing, what do you end up with? You end up with a stomach ache. You end up with regrets that, uh, yeah, the first one was good. I probably shouldn't have had the, the 400th one that I, that I just consumed. Okay. Dainty morsels. Ooh, that tastes good. Well, what else can you tell me? What else can you tell me? That's what gossip is. Ooh, that tasted good. What else? And I can't wait now to, to share it with somebody else. Dainty morsels. The, uh, <laughs> when I was in Dallas last Saturday, I had the, for a Scrabble tournament, the president of the Scrabble Association is, is in Dallas. That's where he lives. And he was playing in the same tournament I was playing in. Different division, of course, because he's way up there. Um, but I had a chance during our lunch break. I said, so Chris, um, what, 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 give me some rumors I can take back to Austin and, and, and spread to the Austin Scrabble Club. <laughs> and uh, he goes, well, all right, what kind of rumors do you want? I said, well, we're all curious about next year's, because uh, they haven't announced yet, when is, when it, where is next year's uh, national championship going to be? Is it, you know, where is it going to be? Because yeah, it moves every year, and it was uh, in Reno this year, it was in Buffalo last year, and, New Orleans the year before, and, and, and usually we should know by now. They, they, they like to announce it at the year before. So when I was in Reno and they had closing ceremonies and all the prizes and awards, they should have announced where next year's was going to be, but they didn't because they don't know yet. And they're having trouble with contracts, they're having trouble finding things, and it's just a big scandal right now. So I said, well, what are the rumors? What can I spread? <laughs> and he laughed, and of course I was being Lighthearted. I mean, I wanted to know, but um, and I know they're they're working hard at it and that kind of thing. Anyway, so that was my illustration for dainty morsels. And uh, and what did I do? I got to Scrabble Monday night in Austin and said, "Hey, you know what Chris Cree told me?" <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're considering. You know, Las Vegas has an option, but we were just in Reno, and that's kind of they try to move it to different parts of the country so people don't have to travel so far every year. And uh, things like that. All right. Dainty morsels. They taste good. Tell me more. Um, considerable social wickedness. Stop it immediately. Quit adding fuel to the fire. Because that's the thing. If you, uh, if, you, if you take it and then you spread it, what's going to happen next? They're going to spread it. What's going to happen next? They're going to spread it. This mindset, it doesn't stop. 
It goes from one to the other to the other to the other. The way to stop it is with you. Don't spread it. You know, they're telling you something and it's, it's inappropriate. They're, they're slandering somebody. It's inappropriate. You don't need to spread that information. Is it, is it right? Is it godly? Is it necessary? If not, what are you talking about it for? Stop it with you. Don't spread it beyond you. Well, I just want to tell this one person. Well, yeah, but that person tells ten people. So stop it with you. Over in chapter 26, I think this metaphor comes up. Twenty-six, uh, twenty. Yeah, there's some of these. In verse 17, like one who takes a dog by the ears. That doesn't seem good. Is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. It's none of your business. What are you, what are you jumping on that for? Let it alone. Instead of grabbing a dog by its ears. I, I take it they don't like that. I've got to research dogs when I get that. Verse 18, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. But that doesn't sound good. So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, wasn't I joking? (laughs) You can't just laugh it off and say, oh, it was just a joke when you were throwing the firebrands all that time and arrows and death. There's consequences. And you don't escape the consequences by saying, oh, 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 I was just joking. Then verse 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. Stop feeding the fire. That's the point. That uh, fire burns, and when it's done, unless it's a miracle like the burning bush or or the lake of fire, in those cases, it burns and burns eternally and never consumes. But um, normally, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. So where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. You see the whisperer here are the gossips. And in, every time they gossip they're just adding fuel to the fire. They're throwing another log on the fire and it just gets worse. And the, and the fire will never stop at that point. Because you just keep adding more fuel. Uh, verse 21, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to the fire so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Verse 22, the words of a whisperer are like a dainty morsels. In fact, this word for word, verse 22, is identical to where we are today. It's identical to Proverbs 18, 8. The words of a whisper are like dainty morsels. They go down into the innermost parts of the body. So stop it immediately. Quit adding fuel to the fire. It's a sin of the tongue that reflects... I mean, what motivates gossip? What is it in the twisted carnal mind that wants to, to spread that story to the next person. What, what do you get out of it? Is there a charge that comes from that? Is there a thrill that comes from that? Is there a, is there a uh, because it hurts somebody? Is that, is that why you're doing it? You want somebody, ooh, you want somebody to know, ooh, hey, you know, guess, uh, guess what? Uh, you know, and, and, and you want, or do you want to be the one that is that source of information? They heard it from me. They heard it from me first. Like that makes a difference or, or improves anything. The, um, I think some of it is, um, is a desire to, I mean, is a fear that you're the last one to know. Oh, everybody knows this and I don't know this? Oh, that's, that's unacceptable. So if I can spread the story first, then I won't be mocked for being out of touch or, or being out of the loop or being unaware, being oblivious to what's going on. Oh yeah, I knew that. I heard that a, a month ago. That's old news. In the pecking order of the gossip community, you don't, want to be the, you don't want to be spreading something juicy that's not juicy because it was juicy a month ago and, uh, and you're late to the party. Anyway... Why is uh, gossip mentioned? In fact, we should at some point do a whole study on the sins of the tongue, including gossip, including slander, um, all the other ways that the, the lies and deceit that are so harmful and the damage that they do. <clears throat> but not today. All right. <laughs> the slacker. The slacker. Here's a tough one. The slacker is a brother 
to the destroyer. And not just any destroyer, the master destroyer. And this one, goodness, this one. He who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. So you got two characters in this proverb, the A part and the B part, and they're brothers. That means they're kin, that means they're close. He who is slack in his work. And it may be that he feels like he's not so bad. He's not as bad as the destroyer. But this verse says he is. This verse says they're brothers. They're close. They're kin. And so if one thinks that he's not so bad, he needs to think again. Because he's just as bad as the destroyer. And how harmful is it to be a slacker? Think of who you're harming, starting with yourself, but beyond that. Your family, your community, um, the plan of God. Because the slacker is not achieving what it is he should be achieving. All right, so, and then the phrase itself uh, of uh, the mashchith is the destroyer. Let's talk about these. Uh, We start with the rafa. All apologies to a young man named Rafa. <laughs> All right. Next time you see him, no, don't, don't tease him. There are other, by the way, Rafa can have other translations as well besides slacker. All right. Um, R-A-P-H-A-H, number 7503, with 46 uh, uses in the Old Testament. And some of them are beautiful. So how can slacking be beautiful? When they come in a promise, they can be beautiful um, in other ways. But translated uh, to let alone, to fail, to be lazy. Um, if, if you have a slack hand or a slack arm, then it's limp, a limp-wristed, um, or to be still. That's a promise. Be still and know that I am God uses this verb. Isn't that amazing? It uses a verb for laziness. <laughs> but that's an order. And uh, that's kind of an interesting way to look at that. Let me just pull this up. That's, that's, we've got time. I'm not feeling... Proverbs 18, 9. All right, so he who is slack in his work. Rafa, 7503. And bring up our color wheel here so you see what I'm talking about. Isn't that colorful? All right, and for a, for a verb that's only used 46 times, there's a lot of variety in how it's translated because every one of those little blocks is a different expression. And so where it's translated alone, six of those uses, um, that's, the, that's the most, is alone, Exodus 4.26, he let him alone. At that time she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Uh, Deuteronomy 9.14, let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make you a great nation. This is the Lord talking to Moses saying, let me alone and I will destroy these people and make you a great nation. When he says, let me alone, the verb that he uses there is Rapha. Um, Jephthah's daughter said, let me be alone for two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity. I am my companions. Let me alone. Uh, The elders of, of, remember last week when the elders of Jabesh said, let us alone for seven days. We'll see if we can find some help to save us. And if no one can come rescue us, then uh, we'll surrender and you can poke out our eyes and we'll be be a, a disgrace. All right. 
Job said, will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? <laughs> All right, so there's those uses. You can see uh, highly idiomatic the way Rafa, we, don't, we wouldn't associate laziness with that other than the idea that uh, you want somebody to leave you alone, you want somebody to just be lazy and quit pestering you. So be lazy concerning me and leave me alone. But then the idea of failing. The Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant with your fathers. Be strong and courageous. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. He will not rafa you. In other words, he, he won't leave you alone. He won't be lazy concerning you. He's going to take care of you. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 8, He will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Uh, He encourages Joshua with this. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. I will not leave you alone. I will not be lazy concerning you. Only three times has it ever translated lazy, and they're all in Exodus chapter 5. And this is when uh, Pharaoh wouldn't give them any more straw and they had to gather their own straw. Uh, But then they had to maintain the same quota of bricks as they had before when they were supplied the straw. And when they complained and said, how can we have the same quota when now we've got to get straw and make bricks? And he said, you're just being lazy. You're just being slack, limp. And uh, uses the phrase there uh, three times translated lazy. Hands will fall limp, hearts will melt. Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. Ah, the angel of death is ready to destroy Jerusalem. His sword is out and David is standing there. And uh, God says, it is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. That relax your hand is is our Rafa term. Discourage, discouraging, cease. This is the cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil doing. Cease striving and know that I am God. Cease striving. In other words, all of your human effort, just be lazy in human effort. Walk by grace. Cease, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. All right, well, there's a handful of others. Like I said, we've got Rafa here. Make that larger. But look how many other Rafas we have. Because number 7504 is also a Rafa. 7503 is a Rafa. There are additional Rafas besides the one we're looking at this morning. There's also Rafa that ends with an Aleph instead of a hey. And uh, the Rephaim come from that Rafa for healers and healing. So uh, anyway, when you see our Rafa, you don't have to tease him for being a slacker. He might be a healer. Maybe his parents had a positive thing in mind when they named him Rafa. Joshua 18.3, Proverbs 18.9, 24.10. Do we see those already as we were just scanning through these? Joshua 18.3. I think we just saw these, didn't we? Ah, here we go. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting, and the land was subdued before them. There remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, how long will you put off, this is Rapha, this is the laziness of procrastination, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? 
And so they're slacking. They're failing. They're letting it alone. They should be in their conquering. They should be in their claiming their land grant, claiming their inheritance by faith. But in Joshua 18.3 he says, how long will you put off entering to take possession of the land? And really it's just disobedience by a lesser form. It's still disobedience. It's still negative volition. Uh, you know, the, the person might weasel and say, well, I'm, I'm, I am obeying. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. No, the longer you procrastinate, you're actually disobeying. You're not doing what you should be doing. To him who knows the good to do and does not do it, sins. And so, as Proverbs says, that slacker is brother to the destroyer. Uh, Proverbs 24.10 If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. You know, some of these tests that we get put through are time-sensitive. And if you are lazy, if you are slack, this is the moment. This is the day of distress. And if you're slack and decide you're going to put it off till tomorrow, you're going to put it off to the next day or put it off to whenever, well, your strength is limited. What if tomorrow you're not strong enough to deal with it? The day after you're not strong enough to deal with it? This was the moment. But you were slack and chose to put it off. Well, Strength is limited. You're not going to have the victory tomorrow. You're not going to have the victory down the road. So that's a nice exhortation there. All right, so that's the slacker. The destroyer. Now this gets us into some things because now not only do we have human destroyers, but actually we have an expression that, like Rafa, we have an expression that also has an angelic conflict uh, uh, application. The destroyer is often spoken of as an angelic being. Sometimes it's God Himself. Sometimes it's the angel of the Lord that is the destroyer. And so depending on the text you're reading and depending on which use of, of uh, mashchith we're talking about, so uh, mashchith, by the way, is M-A-S-H-C-H-I-Y-T-H. Isn't that beautiful? It's got the S-H diphthong, the C-H diphthong, and the T-H diphthong all together. Not diphthongs, consonant blends. S-H-C-H-T-H. And so Mashchith. Number 4889. And the Mashchith is not good. <laughs> the destroyer is a ruiner. The destroyer is, is, um, is judgment. When God unleashes the destroyer, it, it's, it's horrible. And in this case, very, it's the only place in the Bible, I can't find it anywhere else, Proverbs 18, not only does it use mashchith, but it actually puts Baal in front of it. Baal mashchith. It says, the Rapha is a brother to Laba'al, the Baal mashchith, the Lord of destruction. The Lord of destruction. And I can't, uh, I, I spent I can't tell you what I spent on this, trying to figure out why is Baal connected to Mashkeet. It's the only place where it is. And, and the English translations pretend it's not there. The English translations just ignore the Baal and just call it destroyer. Uh, because I, my suspicion is they didn't know what to do with it either. <laughs> that they just pretended it wasn't there and just went with destroyer. That the slacker is brother to the destroyer and moved on. But it's there for a reason and uh, someday perhaps we'll know why. But destroyer. Are we familiar with the destroyer? He was uh, pretty busy on uh, Passover night. Exodus chapter 12. The promise is the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you. Here's the destroyer, the mashkith. No plague will befall you, the destroyer, when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 23, 
For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the Mashchith, the destroyer, to come in to your houses to smite you. Clearly, in these verses, this is uh, a being, this is a person, this is an individual, not a human being, a divine being, an angelic being that God had dispatched to inflict the tenth plague upon Egypt to execute the firstborn son of every household. And it's a personified angelic being. Either in partnership with Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of hosts, I think there are passages that make him seem to be identical with the angel of the Lord. That the angel of the Lord is the destroyer. There are other passages that it appears that the angel of the Lord is a partner with the destroyer, with the Mashkith. And so I think it's still an open question at this point as how it's best to understand it. So that's the destroyer. Second Samuel 24.16 This is again the slacking. This is the um, the pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And 70,000 men of people from Dan to Beersheba died. And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, it is enough. Now relax your hand. And that destroyer there we talked about the relax your hand being the Rafa. Here's the destroyer. Here's the destroyer. The angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And this is why some people want to equate the destroyer with the angel of the Lord and say they're different titles for the same uh, angelic being, which we know is, a, is Jesus Christ. Is God the Son in an angelic uh, Christophany. Alright, so there's the destroyer there. Proverbs 18.9 is our passage this morning where the slacker is brother to the Baal destroyer. The Baal destroyer. Proverbs 28.24 And it may be that just the attaching Baal in front of something is like the lord of something. So if you're the lord of destruction, you're the the worst ever. Like we talk about the the mother of all whatever, the mother of all battles, the mother of all uh, anything, right? We we have these idioms. We maybe Baal was used the same way, the Baal of all destroyers. That's my guess anyway. He who robs his father or his mother and says it is not a transgression is a companion, a friend, an intimate friend of Mashchith, the destroyer. And here it's an Ish Mashchith, not a Baal Mashchith, but an Ish, the man of destruction, a companion of a man who destroys. Isaiah 54 and verse 16 more destruction. Behold, I myself, where do I pick up on this? This is like the days of Noah. Remember we had the days of Noah in Hebrews a couple weeks ago? Isaiah 54 is his days of Noah prophecy. And what it is he's going to bring Israel through. Verse 18 says, uh, In righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression, for you will not fear from terror, for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. Behold, I myself have created the smith, who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work. And I have created the destroyer to ruin. Just like a blacksmith is going to bring out weapons, 
God says, I brought out a weapon. I created a destroyer for this very purpose. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. And so it's uh, that 16th verse, again, is really curious to me in in the uh, development of, and we touched on it only so briefly in angelology. It makes me want to go back and edit those notes again and make sure that uh, that this didn't get overlooked. The role of the destroyer in this. In Greek he's called Apollyon. In uh, the Greek mythology it's Apollo. And uh, we have it in the book of Revelation when the uh, abyss is unleashed and all the demons are freed. That uh, Apollyon goes forth as the king of those demons in the tribulation. Anyway, we have the destroyer. So, um, yeah, if you want to be a slacker and you think it's no big deal, understand it's a bigger deal than you think it is because he's brother to the master destroyer, the Baal destroyer, if you will. And I'm curious if, and, and I don't know, I'm still going to chew on this for probably weeks and years after this morning's class is over and done with, but I wonder if Satan does not have a counterfeit destroyer, if Satan has an agent that he sends out to replicate God's agent in the destroyer, if Satan has named one of his master lieutenants as the Baal destroyer, someone that goes forth and inflicts wrath upon this world and comparable to what God does in righteousness, if uh, if maybe the Baal, the Baal Mashkith might be uh, one of Satan's top agents that uh, the slacker is brother to. Did I make it more serious? <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of ways that the Bible addresses procrastination and uh, I, I don't know if uh, if there's a worse procrastinator in this church than me, but uh, all of us have an element of it built into our humanity and some worse than others. Uh, so, We'll just uh, thank the Lord for what He's doing here and uh, try to do something about our procrastination. All right, well, we survived. We survived nine verses of social dysfunction. Next week when we come back, we get happy verses. Uh, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Not just the Lord, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. That's a good thing, right? Okay. Well, we'll come back next week and we'll deal with that. Oh, okay, it did. Oh, well, then there you go. Well, thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this class. Thank you for keeping the migraine away and allowing for uh, these verses to be looked at. I pray, Father, that um, that the truth of this would would impact each of us that in whatever, however much rafa we have in our soul, Father, that you would root it out, that you would replace it with diligence. We're commanded to be diligent, to present ourselves not as rafas, but as workmen, needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so, Father, uh, however much rafa we have, get rid of it. Um, cause us to be spudazo diligent. Uh, Father, your son is worth it. Your plan is worth it. You have done so much for us, and our time is so short. We want to serve you, Father all day, every day. Thank you for being faithful. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.